All right. Good morning. How are y'all? That little housekeeping while they get the stuff together here. Um, I'm preaching right here this morning because the cooler is out on the stage. So, uh, not, nope, right here. Thank you, Paul. By the way, three-piece bands are one of my favorite bands. <laughs> Some of my favorite bands are three-piecers. What a blessing. Amen. Good worship. Good solid worship this morning. I love it when Paul leads worship. He just has a spirit and a soul that is just, I get him. So anyway, thank you, brother. Amen. So good worship. Praise the Lord. What a blessing. A little bit of housekeeping. All right. Next week is potluck. Um, I don't know if it's going to be 109 at 9 again, but um, I'm wearing shorts. Okay. So um, that's a good day for you to look that way. Um, it is... It will be Sherry and I's uh, last official day here. You will see us um, back and forth time and again. But um, I'll put on some extra secret because there will be lots of hugs and um, stuff like that. Probably bring ice. Anya didn't say anything, but we probably need ice too, I guess. Because, man, I can't imagine us ever having enough ice. Hopefully it's cooler next week. I would appreciate that. Sherry is here with us this morning. So um, uh, if you see her, she has on a, a concrete foot. So feel free to kick her. Um, I, I said last week that's how she broke her foot. She kicked me in the head. I'm fine. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Pray for us, and uh, we continue to pray for you and put those on that comment card. I am still reading emails, and uh, I want to know. No luck, Robert. Oh, he's got his head down. I guess there's no AC, no AC coming on today. Okay, that's fine. I'm already sweating, so you know that I'm going to talk loud and probably fast. All right, so we'll get through this. Lost and found. Sometimes, as in our Christian walk, we experience highs and lows, times of lost and times of found. And this morning, Elisha, it's kind of an odd little story. It's almost overlooked sometimes in 2 Kings. But Elijah is going to um, work a work. It's in, printed in your bulletin if you want to follow along with Jonathan. Jonathan's going to read it for us so that I don't get all nasally as we go through this. Jonathan, go ahead, brother. 2 Kings 6, 1-7 One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River, where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then he grabbed his axe, floating to the, then his axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said, and the man reached out and grabbed it. Thank you, Jonathan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this little story about the faith and the, the miracles of Elijah, Lord, bring this to our hearts. Help us to understand what its purpose is to us. In Christ's name, amen. Young people. Elisha, I don't know how old he was exactly. We have some stories of Elijah's, of Elisha's phenomenal strength and speed and endurance, but um, I'm not exactly sure that it's, it's difficult in the Bible to determine exactly how old Elisha is here, but he's hanging around with young people. All right, it was important to him that he mentor and he care for the next generation. All right, the most, probably one of the top five things that we do as a church is to prepare the next generation 
to do the work of the Lord, maybe in a church, maybe out of somebody's garage. You know, it doesn't need to be a church. We have a nice church and a good steeple, but the church doesn't need to meet in a building that looks like this to be a church. All right, we can meet in John's garage. All right, put in air conditioning out there, okay? That works. That works would be good. Wherever two or three are gathered together, the Lord says, there he is also. So it doesn't need to be in a church to have church. But we are equipping that next generation. And Elisha, it was so important to him to spend time with young people. Elisha spent time with Elijah. All right, probably about six years. All right, that is a good education of a mentor and a mentee, of spending six years with Elijah. Elijah was also a wacky guy. All right, if you read some of the antics of Elijah, he was not intimidated by the prophets of Baal. He wasn't intimidated by hundreds of them. All right, I've never been in a situation where it's me against a hundred. Have you? All right, that would be daunting odds at best, wouldn't it? Even if you had a Thompson or, or a, some hand grenades, all right, it's still a hundred of them. And Elijah just walked in and said, y'all are doomed because I'm here. And I'm here with the presence of the Lord. And he had that kind of moxie that Elijah just walked in. And Elijah spent six years walking around with him and going where he wanted. And here's one of the secrets of Elijah's great mentoring is that he never left his mentor. He stayed with him. Even when Elijah told him, stay put, Elijah said, oh, no, 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 I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. He stayed with him. But Elisha waited patiently for his opportunity to do ministry. Those that have been mentored well need to return the favor. If you've been mentored well, whether it's in education or plumbing or ministry or electri electrical or building or military, whatever it is that you've been mentored in, if you've been mentored well, you have the responsibility to pass that on to somebody else and become a mentor. And it's hard sometimes because we get in a position where we know we have something to share and we're not sure who to mentee, right? The mentee is the one that's being mentored, all right? And it's kind of creepy if, if I go up to Nathan and say, hey, Nate, I want to mentor you, all right? That's kind of creepy, isn't it? What is he supposed to think? All right, it's much better if he comes to me and says, Pastor Doug, can you mentor me? Then it's not creepy. It's less creepy, right? Yeah, it is, exactly, because it's an old man approaching a young man going, hey, I'd like to mentor you. You know, that's not a good thing. For one thing, he's going to say yes, whether he wants to or not, out of respect. All right, it's much more important if you need to be mentored that you approach someone you know that can help you. And you approach, because then the mentor knows, oh, they're ready to go. I don't have to keep track of their time. They came to me with it. And Elijah appreciated that mentoring so much that he started schools. He started schools, they called it schools for prophets, but it was really just schools for young men in ministry. And it was important to Elijah to pass that on. He probably had schools in Gilgal, Bethel, Jer Jericho, Ramah, many other places. And all of his schools were doing really well. In fact, we see that this school was running out of space. Two of my, uh, two of my favorite biblical, uh, modern heroes are uh, Moody and Spurgeon, Dwight Moody and Charles Spurgeon. Neither one of them had any official seminary. Neither one of them ever went to Bible college. 
Neither one of them ever had any professional mentoring or counseling. I'm sure there were men and women that built into their lives, but neither one of them ever went to seminary. They didn't have a degree, and yet both of them started colleges and seminaries that to this day, even in 2023, are still ministering to young people about God's word and about ministry. And it's, it's hard to understand exactly everything that we're supposed to do in 2023, but I give you some 2023 examples and some applications of how we could be finding mentoring, how we could be looking to better ourselves sometimes, or at least the next generation. You know, I am a firm believer in Christian university. I like Christian University. There's a bunch of them around us, CBU, APU, GCU, and Biola. All right, just to name four that you can commute to from here. As we think about our kids and our grandkids, start preparing for them to have a Christian education. My son-in-law called me last night. He's, he's at uh, Azusa Pacific beginning his nursing degree. And he calls me about a passage in Luke. It's like 10.30 at night. It's like, RJ, it's bedtime, man. You want to start a debate on Luke? And he has, as a nurse, he has to take Christian study courses, all right, in order to graduate at Azusa Pacific or Cal Baptist or Grand Canyon or Biola, even their, even their liberal art classes, you have to take Christian classes, you have to take Christian study classes, and you're surround, you are, have a better chance of being taught actual stuff about nursing and not heresy at these schools, all right? I, I know it. Cal State San Bernardino, it's impossible to get an unbiased education without being inundated with theology of the world. And I'll leave it at that. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's difficult. Christian universities are going to help our young people advance in a godly manner. Seminaries. There are seven Southern Baptist seminaries available to you. You think, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't need to go to seminary. Listen, I went to seminary. Sherry and I accomplished our seminary with cash, sweat, tears, and pain. All right? It's not designed to be easy. When you're a seminarian and a pastor, uh, it is the, one of the most difficult things that I've done is to get my master's degree from seminary. But our seminary at Gateway has programs for you that are designed to pass, all right? My seminary was designed to fail. If you don't do a bunch of reading and a bunch of writing and a bunch of thinking and a bunch of praying, you're going to fail seminary. But, but Gateway has an advanced program that is available to you, and it's his exact, it is the seminary curriculum that's designed to pass, all right? Isn't it great to start a... I was never great at school. How, were any of you not so great at school like me? All right, how would it be if you went to school and you knew you were getting an A? Before you ever even started, would you go? Would you think about going? All right, the advanced programs at Gateway are designed to pass. If you're interested in that, if you think you have a, an interest in learning one class at a time, it's super affordable. It's less than you'll spend on a weekend in Big Bear to go and take a class at Gateway. Men and women, everyone, if you're thinking about, wow, I wish I knew just a little bit more about the word, you can know a little bit more about the word. We have opportunities, just like Elisha started, to do more with what we have. And you can go. I promise you, in a course that's designed to pass, any of you can pass it. 
and you will come out learning as much as I learned from Christian theology or the doctrine of God or a New Testament survey or Old Testament survey. And you'll know what I, what I learned and what Sherry learned for darn near free with an A. I'll leave that at that. Think about if you have a call to teach or to ministry or you just want to take a great course, come and talk to me. Shoot me an email. I'll hook you up. I promise you, you can get in this fall. Elisha goes to work with his students. Here we see that Elisha, our story told us that the building was getting too small. Elisha had done a good job and more and more students were coming and wanted to be mentored by Elisha. And the building was too small. And they said, let's go down to the Jordan River and cut some logs and build a bigger school and, and we'll be able to meet there. And Elisha said, good. And they said, come with us. And he said, okay, I'll go with you. Mentors often ministry experiences growth. Growth in ministry is usually blessed by God. I've, I've been associated with pastors who, who have done a good job and have preached the word and are faithful to their congregation and the congregation dwindled down to nothing and the church closed. Isn't that, uh, that's unusual? That's not so unusual. Churches have a life. They have a birth, a life, and sometimes they end. And that's not unusual. But generally, if you do a good work, People will appreciate that. Much work will often create much more work. That's just how it goes. Sometimes working creates more, and the school had outgrown it because of good mentoring. Let's talk about mentors for a minute. Replication is the confirmation of ministry. Everyone sitting in this room has an opportunity to mentor someone. You have that opportunity. Are you prepared to teach somebody what you believe? Do you know what you believe well enough that you could teach it to somebody else? Your children, that's the obvious choice. They live with you. You have to teach them. The people that you work with, the guy you take your coffee break with, your partner in the truck, whatever you do, your apprentice, your journeyman, however it is, are you ready to share with them what you believe to bring them along? Are you advancing? Replication is confirmation of our ministry. And the second thing that we see here from Elijah is that mentors should never ask their mentees to do anything they're not willing to do. They said, let's go down and build a fort. All right, Elijah said, good idea. They said, won't you come with us? Elijah said, well, if you're working, I'll work too. And he went with them. We should never expect people who we're mentoring to do things that we're not willing to do, right? Sometimes, if you're old, you may not be able to carry the logs and chop the wood. I don't know how old Elijah was here. Whether he was chopping wood and sawing and carrying logs or whether he was just pouring lemonade and helping and encouraging. He went with them and encouraged them. Mentees, choose a mentor, choose a mentor that models Christ. We see here that these guys have chosen Elijah. You know, there are lots of people that want a following. But we need to be careful if you're a mentee, if you know you need to be mentored, you need to pick someone that follows Christ. There's many in this church that are worth mentoring, being your mentor. Uh, I would encourage you to drop an email. If you want to be mentored, uh, perhaps we can help. Line you up with some of that. Encouragement and instruction are expected. 
If you're being mentored, you should be being encouraged. If you're being demeaned or tasked hard or just worked to death, you should be working, getting encouragement and instruction. And you should expect to be challenged. All right? It isn't easy being mentored. You should expect to be challenged. Elijah's students did the work, but Elijah was with them. I'm reminded of schools in Japan. When we went, my, my niece taught school in Japan for several years, and she said that they bar- every school in Japan barely has any custodians. There's hardly any custodial staff. There's some, because there's some things that, that they just need to do professionally. But normally, the students clean the school. The students have the responsibility to pick up after themselves. The students have the responsibility to leave the restroom like better than they found it. There's a concept, huh? How would it be in our schools in Apple Valley and Victorville and San Bernardino and the Inland Empire? How would it be if our students cleaned our schools? They'd probably be a mess because they don't know how. We've done it for them. And Elisha here is giving them opportunity to have ownership in something that belongs to them. Students did the work. And they were working away. And they're working away building this house, building this school. And one of the kids is chopping wood. And somehow, I mean, it happens, right? He loses hold of the axe. The axe axe head comes off. Actually, it's not unusual in that day that axe heads came off. It's actually mentioned in Deuteronomy. All right, in Deuteronomy, if an axe head, it says if an axe head comes off the handle and hits your buddy in the head and kills him, you're actually guilty of manslaughter, and you can escape to the city of refuge. All right, you're not a murderer. All right, imagine that that's one of the problems of walking around someplace is getting hit in the head with an axe. I, I think that we all walk around and don't realize sometimes the peril driving up the 15 freeway. Um, surely that's like walking through a room full of people swinging old axes sometimes. And what are the chances that you're going to come off the 15 freeway uninjured? But the axe go sailing. We, we don't understand exactly what kind of predicament this guy is, was in because we just go to Lowe's. I just go to Lowe's and get another one, right? If I knew we were working on a project and we needed axes or hammers, I'd probably go to Amazon two weeks before and order it, right? I'll just get a half dozen of them from Amazon. Then we'll have extra, right? In case we break a hammer. I, I have seen a couple of carpenter friends of mine break hammers um, some of the big framing hammers, they call it a Cadillac. You could, contractors know what I'm talking about. To actually break a hammer, man, that's like breaking a beam. It's, it's hard to do, but I would probably go to Lowe's and pick up what we need and be prepared for it. But in this place, this young man had borrowed the axe, and the axe was something that was precious. All right, they were hand-forged out of iron. And so they weren't exactly like the tungsten steel or the tempered steel that we get, that we work with. They always had to be sharpened. You always had to maintenance it. And it wasn't unusual for one to fly off the handle. That's where that term comes from. All right, don't fly off the handle. What does that mean? You're an a- <laughs> when you fly off the handle, you're a sharp axe floating through the air and you could hit somebody. All right, it wasn't easy for them. And this young man was a seminarian. Uh, Sherry and I were fortunate when we went through seminary that we had trades and we, we, had a little, where we had a little substance that we lived off of. But of many seminarians I know that are in their early 20s couldn't afford to replace an axe. They can't afford to get a flat tire fixed on their car. 
All right, they're broke. This guy was basically broke. He's distressed because under Deuteronomical, Deut Deuteronomical law, thank you, he was liable for this. And if, and if he hadn't told the truth about it, he was liable for double. But he told the truth about it, but he'd lost the axe and he was distressed because he didn't have the money to replace it. And he couldn't just go to Lowe's and get another one. These were handmade tools. They were handmade tools that cost a lot and weren't easy to get back. And it was borrowed. That's the worst thing about it, is it? It was borrowed. He borrowed it from a friend. My dad was a mechanic and I have uh, my own, the only, I like tools. I like a lot of tools. Um, I used to work with them more than I do now, but I still like tools. I have my dad's snap-on tools. It's the only snap-ons I can afford is the ones I got from my dad, you know, and, and I will let you use one of my tools in my driveway. All right, but uh, if you're broke down on the side of the road and you need a wrench, I'll come with the wrench. Okay, I'll bring it to I'll be happy. Call me. I'll load up the whole dang toolbox and bring it to you. But I know about loaning tools. The number one rule to loaning tools is don't loan a tool that you expect back. Because it's probably not coming back. And, and, and here's the thing that I know about loaning tools. If, if you do loan a tool to somebody and they bring it back, that's a dude. Man, I appreciate that. It's so uncommon to see that. I, 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 my dad loaned a guy a tow chain, and he never brought it back. And one day, it was funny, one day uh, we saw him stuck on the side of the road, and my dad got him out with the chain that belonged to him that was still in the back of his pickup truck. And my dad asked him, can I have my chain back? Is that your chain? I wonder where that came from. My dad drove away, he goes, he's lucky he had my chain in the back of his truck because I wasn't going to tow him out, but I got my chain back. It's like, you know, I, I, can, I, I would hope that we'd be, that necessarily wasn't my dad, but you would hope you'd be that good that you would go the extra mile even when they'd taken advantage of you. Those handmade tools were on loan to him and they were very precious. There are things that are on loan to us that are very precious. The Holy Spirit has enabled us to do good work. The Holy Spirit has enabled us to do ministry. He provides the opportunity. He supplies the power and authority. But it's on borrowed time from us. He's supplied us with that. And we need to handle it with care. We talked about tools. Every tool in my garage, every tool has a place. All right, my, my youngest son, David, is a pretty good mechanic. All right, but... Every time he worked, we, we were on our cruise and I had to put new mirrors on my truck. All right? And I know the mirrors on my truck are going to be perfect. But I'll have to, as soon as I get home, I have to walk around the garage and pick up tools and put them back where they go. All right? And he just is a good mechanic, a decent mechanic. But if he, you got it out of this drawer, put it back in that drawer, right? Handle it with care. Right? My daughters are the worst. My daughters will, will actually intentionally come into my kitchen. I'm the cook at home. So the kitchen is basically just a big toolbox for me because that's the way I work, all right? Everything has a place and everything is in its place. So my two daughters come to my house and when I'm not watching, they'll open a drawer and take this spatula and move it over here. And then they'll take this and move it over here just to mess with me. 
And I tell him, that's not funny. You're messing with me. And when I need something, it's in the wrong place. And then I know it's you. And then when I need it at 2 o'clock in the morning and I can't find it and you move around, I'm calling you. One day on April 4th, one day when I supported both of them, they both moved out and have children now. But back when Sherry and I used to support them completely on an April Fool's Day, they went through my kitchen and opened every door and every cabinet and every drawer. And they opened it. And I walked out in the morning and everything is standing. Because this is one of my issues, all right? They leave the doors open. Why, how can you get into a cupboard and grab something? that You're not putting it back where you found it anyway, but at least close the door. And every cabinet door is open. Drives me crazy because all of this stuff needs to be handled with care. The Holy Spirit has given us tools that need to be handled with care. And sometimes we lose our mojo a little bit. Sometimes we lose that spiritual edge that we had. Sometimes it just kind of slips away. And, and sometimes you lose your mojo. Following Christ isn't always all sunshine and roses. Sometimes we lose it. We don't seem like we have that power of the Holy Spirit anymore. We don't feel like we have that fellowship and that communion with the Lord. And we've lost it. And it's gone. And we've lost our cutting edge. And the evaluation of where I lost my fellowship is very important that we take into account. How, how did I get separated from this? How did I fly off the handle? Serving the Lord is always rewarding, but sometimes it's threatening. Sometimes we might lose something very precious to us. Moses lost his patience. David lost his self-control. Jonah rebelled directly against direct orders. Peter lost his integrity. Losing our cool can hinder our ability to share the gospel. I can lose my cool. You know, it's, it's a spectacle. Have to get under control. One, years ago, this lady uh, almost wrecked me and ran me into the ditch. And I followed her. I followed her. I, I was young, by the way, in my 20s. And I followed her to the grocery store. And, and she got out, and I began to read her out. And I don't think I used that many potty words, but um, I wasn't being nice. And turns out in that parking lot was one of the elders of the church that I went to. And, and he didn't do anything until Sunday. I went to church like normal. I probably went to youth group. Maybe it was in youth group, right? It might have been like I was just barely a man. And this elder said, Can I, you got a minute? Yeah, sure. What's up, Lowell? The guy's name was Lowell. What's up, Lowell? He goes, well, you know. I was in the Alpha Beta parking lot last week when you read that lady out, and that wasn't very Christian-like. And I went, oh, that wasn't very good. I lost my cool. I lost my cool. And it taught me a lesson. It's not that I haven't lost my cool since I was 18. All right? I have lost my cool many times. Try not to road rage on the freeway. All right? That's where most people seem to lose their cool. All right, it's always great to see Christian bumper stickers, fortunately, have kind of went the way of the dodo bird, but they're still out there. See a harvest sticker on some, you know, if you have a harvest sticker on your car, everybody knows you're a believer. All right, everybody knows. And then you cut people off and flip them off. All right, you lose your cool. If people know you're a believer, you got to keep it under control. <laughs> Stumbling over our integrity trips up the message. If people don't trust your word, if 
people think you're a liar, if people know you tell half-truths or fibs, they're not going to take any integrity in the message that you share with them about Jesus. Not doing or giving what we know we're supposed to do. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do or go or give, what do you need to do? Do or go or give. To not be, do that just puts the brakes on obedience. And the message of the gospel is squashed. Believers that are broken don't share the gospel. Believers that have lost their cutting edge don't share the gospel. Do we share the gospel once a year, once a month, once a week? I know a guy that makes it a point to share the gospel with somebody every day. That's frightening to me. Who will it be? How will I fight? What will I do? Who will I say? What will go on? I have so many questions about that. I like to share the gospel organically. All right, when somebody comes to me and says, what must I do to be saved? Like Jesus, right? It's like, that's the way to do it, right? Because if somebody will come and ask me, what must I do to be saved? I got an answer for them, right? But that's so organic. How do we actually synthetically manufacture that to where the people that I come in contact with, I'm able to lead them into a gospel conversation? It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. But it's almost like using that torque wrench. All right, have you ever seen anybody pick up a torque wrench and know what they were doing right from the start? All right, they don't even know what it's for, most people. All right, but once you start using it, you feel that click, click, and you know. Click, click. You set the torque where you want it, and you pull on it, and it clicks. Because you know how to use that tool. And it's a tool that we know how to use. Believers that are broken don't share the gospel. Believers that aren't generous... Never have enough. Believers that don't give generously never have enough. They're always struggling to make ends meet. Christians that are not truthful can't be trusted. Impatience. I'm an impatient person. I want what I want and I want it now. I want it yesterday. Right? I'm impatience. Impatience is the opposite of trusting God. It's opposite. And we lose our cutting edge. And we lose that fellowship with God. And sometimes we're not even sure why. Why don't I feel connected? Where's my axe head? The good news is that God makes axe heads float. I, I uh, thought about the day about bringing in a bucket of water and an axe. All right, But it's kind of a silly illustration because you all know it won't float. Even modern day axes won't float. You ever see pennies in the swimming pool? All right, we, and, and my dad used to hate that when there was pennies in the swimming pool because the copper would make a little ring. He's like, he'd go, throw dimes, nickels, quarters, whatever, but no pennies in the pool. And so we, of course, would always throw pennies in the pool because it'd make my dad dive down and get them. All right, and I think he liked it. I'm not sure. It was a game, you know, but they, they don't float. They sink. Almost everything metal that isn't in the form of a ship, when you throw it in the water, sinks. But God makes axe head float, and he can restore ministry to you too. You're right. You're right. Restoring ministry to you might take a miracle. It might need a miracle to restore where you're at. But God makes axe heads float. Number one, the number one part of this miracle is to admit that you're struggling. Most Christians put on a good front. Nobody knows they're struggling. Most of us don't know that we haven't shared the gospel in a long, long time with anybody we love, let alone anybody that we don't know. All right, most of us don't know that about each other, that we are not in the word every day.
Because we assume that we're coming to church on Sunday, it's 109 degrees outside and you're here. It would be safe to assume that you guys are in the Word every day. But we don't know because that's a very personal thing. Even your spouse may not know. Sometimes I see Sherry doing a Bible study and the next day I don't see her doing a Bible study. And the next day I see her and then a couple days I won't see her. Do I know that she in the Word every day? I hope so. Right? But maybe I should ask her. What's your Bible study like today, honey? What was it like yesterday? Maybe she should ask me. Are you writing today? Pastors need to write. You agree? Maybe pastors need to write better. I don't know. You know, the truth is, is that you need to write too. You need to be writing your Bible study with a pencil and a paper. Young people, I know that's foreign to you. you have, it's, everything is typed. Pick up a pencil and a paper. Old people, too. I can go all week and not pick up a pencil. A pencil and a paper is a way to put it into your mind and process it to where it works and be in the Word. Number one, admit that you're struggling. I'm not in the Word. I haven't prayed in a long time. I don't feel like it's working. Admit it. Number two, why are you struggling? Why are you struggling with your faith? Why are you struggling with your walk? Is it someplace you should not be going? We have to ask ourselves questions. Am I going where it honors God? I, I know folks that um, say they're believers, and I know they're hanging out at clubs. I don't know that there's anything wrong with going to a club unless you walk out drunk and drive home, unless you're there to pick up on somebody. Unless you're there for reasons that don't bring glory to God. I don't have a problem with people going out. If you're going out places that don't honor God, perhaps that's stumbling to you. Maybe it's someone you associate with. Even in my walk with the Lord, I've associated with people who did not encourage me in my walk. They actually encouraged me to stumble. And you know what happens if you hang around with people who aren't on the same team as you, that aren't cutting wood with you alongside the Jordan? You know what happens? Eventually, you'll stop too. Is it associations that's causing me to struggle? Something I should not be partaking in. I have Christians that, that uh, are partaking in things that they ought not be picking up. They know it's, it's dangerous to them. We have things on the internet. We have stores that sell what you couldn't buy in the 80s. We have things that are going on that are stumbling people, and people are partaking. If it's stumbling to you, if it's causing you a cutting edge, you need to put it away. Something you shouldn't have. Not spending time in the Word is what it's causing you. Pursue Christian friends. We all need a Christian friend. So why we come to church is to meet somebody that loves you. Listen, it doesn't do any good to come and sit here week after week after week and you never go to lunch with you. And you never go to breakfast with you. And you never know about their kids. It doesn't do any good if we're just a group full of strangers that are just sitting here listening to some dude talk about axes that don't float. All right, we need to have fellowship. And if you wait for somebody to invite you to lunch, you're going to be really hungry. It's okay to say, I don't know you too well. 
What was your name? Oh, hi. I usually sit over here, and you usually sit over there. Want to go to lunch? Well, I can't. Well, what about next week? Can we plan? Invite each other into each other's life. That's why we come here. You'd be surprised how many Christians are going to church every day and are so lonely. Listen to me. I'm going to go out on a limb here, all right? Is there anybody in this room that wouldn't go to lunch with anybody else in this room? Is there somebody in this room you would not go to lunch with? David, who don't you like? You don't like him? You're not going, okay, don't feed yourself, all right? Will you go to lunch with anybody in this room? Then ask somebody in this room. Somebody that isn't in your little group. Ask. We need to be friendly. This is why we come to church together like this, so that we can support each other. Because when we lose our edge, you got to have somebody that you trust to come to and say, help. Help me. Help me. I'm alone here. I got nobody I can trust. But I can trust the people in this room. These are people in this room that came out on a 109-degree day to hear the word. I trust you, but we aren't so busy that we can't take a minute. Hospitality is a lost art in the church. It is. And I have been, Sherry and I have been graced at New Hope that I've been to many of your homes, and you guys have been gracious to us in the last year. And, and I've gotten some, some nifty decorating tips and uh, stuff it's like because it's good to see each other's home but you know what hardly anybody goes to anybody else's home anymore right hardly ever do people go over and say howdy people used to come to to our home when i was a kid and just drop in <laughs> can you imagine it's like hey how's it going it's like right now right now don't come to my house right i don't care you know what my mom used to say if you cut and my mom was a perfect housekeeper all right everything was always good why she said this i don't know if you're coming to see my house you'll be disappointed but if you're coming to see me we'll have a real good time all right right now uh we thought sherry was going to telecommute and work from home and so we moved her office into the living room all right because she's got to keep her foot up when you see her orange her yellow cast today you know you'll know what i'm talking about she's got to keep her toes above her nose all right at least like 12 hours a day she's supposed to so we took her office and moved it into the living room and then three days later, her doctor said, she's going on disability. So now the office and part of where we live is in the, I just got to put stuff back. All right. But if you came to my house today, you're going to see Doug and Sherry. We're there. David needs to cut the grass. All right. For heaven's sakes. Uh, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You came to see me. And we need to live together more than just telecommute to work to church together. We need to live together. I like going to your homes. It's fun. We get to kick back. You know, it, it's like going to a restaurant. A restaurant's great, but in 45 minutes, they want that table for somebody else, plus uh, the next tip, right? And I always feel bad when we go into a restaurant, we end up like three hours there, um, unless it's like a fast food place, it doesn't matter. But if it's a restaurant, I feel bad because after about an hour and a half, they quit bringing you water. Have you noticed? All right, and then they, 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 they start to walk by you and ignore you because you're taking up space. We need to go. All right, maybe that's good for a first encounter, but people, if you're struggling, we need to pursue Christian friendships and Bible study. We need to come to Bible study. 
if I'm if I'm reminisce here at the close of Sherry and, my, and our time, all right, and we I consider this to have been the one of the most successful ministries that Sherry and I have ever done. Not just because I love you and you have shown love to me and love to my wife. Sherry and I have served in churches where she's kind of gone ignored. All right, I can never tell you how much it means to me that you have cared for her. But if there's something that's precious to me, it's my men's Bible study class. Oh my gosh, that's been amazing. We have actually talked about stuff that I don't even know. I'd have never thought about that group. And, and like five months ago, Pastor Jack lassoed me into it. Thank you, brother. At the time, I was like, one more thing to do. You know, because he said, he said, and I'll quote, I don't usually talk about me and Jack and stuff because it's personal. But he said, pastor needs to be teaching this class. And it's like, okay, so I'll do it for a week. And within a week, I was hooked. Because I want to be with those guys. I want to be with those guys that are going to be with me for the rest of my life. Even if they just love me and think about me, it's been special. That Bible study where I know if I'm cutting down trees, they'll all bring their axe over and help me. Every one of them would take something for me, would do something for me. Get in a Bible study. There's plenty of them going on. Starting in August. We're on a break right now. Get in a Bible study. Ask Jack and Jean. They'll guide you. Now go on Wednesday nights. It's still going to keep going. Learning to share Christ's love with others. We have to learn how to share Christ's love with others. It takes a little practice. I know we don't share the gospel every day. All right, maybe some of you do. I'd like to know what your technique is. But we got to be sharing the gospel sometimes. God loves you so much, it's worth telling somebody else about. Why are you struggling? You know, I think that just not sharing our faith when we have an opportunity is going to cause us to lose our cutting edge. Number three, ask God to restore to you that cutting edge. Number three, God, I'm struggling. I'm out of the loop. I don't feel like I'm in the word when I'm reading and it's not making sense to me. When I pray, I'm just thinking about the cats. When I talk to you, it's like I'm talking to myself. Lord, I'm out of the loop with you. Restore. David said, renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. I'm struggling, Lord Jesus. Help me to find my way. And when you find your way, then we need to keep it sharp. All right, if every time we get sharp, we just let it go dull and we lose it again, it's just a process that's kind of setting us backwards and forwards, three steps forwards and two steps back. All right, when we figure out where we're losing it, we need to repent from that and work on that restoration and pray, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the blessings of knowing you, Lord. I pray that you will restore to us the joy of our salvation, that you will restore to us the knowledge that we need to stay close to you. Give us wisdom in our heart to follow you in a way that is impenetrable to Satan's darts, and we can stand against 